Hey guys, and welcome back to the Pennies to Pounds podcast with your host, Kay. This is a podcast where we aim to dispel myths, simplify difficult financial jargon, and aim to rectify your own financial problems. So today I'm here with a special guest. I'm here with David. Hi, okay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. So I want you to tell us a bit more about you, David, because no one really knows. Tell us about you. So I've been involved in the markets for fairly long time now. Okay. I think um, I first got involved when I was about 17, studying yeah. for my A-levels. Um, then went to uni, mm-hmm. um, got involved with trading before that, um, and really kind of developed a real liking for the markets, financial markets, economics. Um, and now I trade alongside running my own uh, research service called Macrodesiac. Mm. And really I focus more on the macroeconomic side of, of trading so looking at news events looking at market themes and then coming to a longer term decision about these that's really interesting okay cool so i studied economics at a level so i know a bit more but for people who don't maybe understand trading and macroeconomics may just go over their heads do you want to delve into that a little bit more yeah so essentially trading people might think of it as buying low and selling high which okay. essentially that's what it is yeah or you know um selling high and buying back low yeah um but really, it is uh, everyone's best guess. Yeah. That's all trading is. Um, okay. You might hear about people saying that they know what's going to happen next. They're liars. They don't know what's going to happen It's just a guess. Next. It's a probabilities game okay. based off of you know statistics, based off of um, different themes occurring, as I mentioned before. Yeah. Um, what I focus on primarily is um, these, these macroeconomic themes, which are kind of news events. They're called fundamentals as mm-hmm. well. So you might hear about uh, an interest rate decision, for example, how would that affect the markets? And these are the kind of things that I focus on rather than looking purely at charts yeah. and um, and looking at kind of more micro data like many others do. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So you said you got into it back in when you were 17? Yes. So how did you get into it? Because I know a lot of people have come to me saying, oh my gosh, I want to get into trading. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm not too <laughs> sure. So you're, you're the expert here. So, you know, when you're studying for your A-levels or yeah. whatever, um, you might be on YouTube looking at stock market, mm-hmm. interest rates, all of these different things. And the YouTube algorithms then start targeting you with, with adverts. Yeah. So an advert for a broker popped up okay. and it said, uh, here's $10,000 for free that you can trade. It's, it's fake money. Yeah. Um, so you start doing that and you go down then the rabbit hole. So um, I, I had that first 10,000, ran it up to about a million and thought I was the best trader ever. <laughs> yeah, okay. I then put in my own real money cool. and lost it straight away pretty much because I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and then I realized that over time you really have to dedicate and understand um, and, and understand your own learning really yeah. to be able to succeed at it. And that's what I focused on for the last, say, eight, Eight, nine years, I think now. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it's been a long time. And over that time, I've, tr- I've changed from, you know, I mentioned before the technical chart-based yeah. stuff. I've changed from doing that into this kind of longer-term style of trading where I do look at the longer-term market themes and macroeconomic themes. That makes because sense. Because it works better. Why, if, why, why would you say that? Because let's say there's someone who's um, using the method that you use initially, the, the technical base. Mm-hmm. Why would you prefer what you're doing now over to the technical one? So for, for me... Um, there's what what happens is that macroeconomic factors drive price. That's my view. Yeah. And that's the view that's found by loads of different uh, academic research papers. Um, and this is why, you know, larger institutions focus more on the macroeconomic side rather than just looking at charts. Yeah. So I thought to myself, if bigger players are doing this, why are all smaller players focusing on 
this aspect and then wondering why they lose so much. So then I focused all of my learning and understanding towards, you know, this one this one thing going on that that seems to make more sense as to why people win. Yeah. So I focused on that purely um, over the last kind of four, four ish years, I'd say. Um, and I obviously I still look at charts and yeah. things like that. You don't just follow them. You still look at charts and you use them. Exactly. But you but focus more on. There's so many different, different factors that go into it as well. Yeah. People, people tend to trade on such a short time frame when they're learning. Yeah. And all they're doing is trading noise. And they have no real understanding of what is moving price on an intraday basis. Okay. They're only really looking at patterns. Yeah. And as humans, we're biased towards looking at patterns that confirm our biases. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So you might see loads of different drawings and trend lines on charts and stuff. Really, all you're doing is confirming a view that you already hold yeah. rather than the actual realities of what's occurring and driving the market. So I look at the themes to be able to come to a much clearer and better conclusion as to what is driving price um and that's what i think most people should focus on yeah but the access to charts and the access to learning about how to draw on charts is much easier than putting in the effort to understand macroeconomic factors so this is why people tend to focus on the charts more and why they tend to lose more in my view that makes sense um so how did you start your learning is there somewhere in particular so was it like youtube did you have books how did you go about getting all this knowledge? So what I learned very, very quickly, I, I, I constantly read articles and things like that on the, the internet. Um, Twitter was actually probably the best really? resource. That's yeah, really absolutely. interesting. I think Twitter, um, people complain about Twitter so yeah. much. But I think if you were able to use Twitter to, um, in terms of who you're following, in terms of what you're actually looking for, yeah. it has a much deeper, deeper use than what people perceive it to have. Sometimes, I'll, I'll tell you an example. So sometimes I put I put tweets out there to see if certain people react to them okay. and how they react. Yeah. So I might put a tweet about the market, okay? Yeah. And if I see that maybe five, five to 10 specific people react to that tweet in a certain way, I know then how to trade because of what they're like, because of their views and because of how I've perceived them to be wrong or right in the past. Okay. That's just one aspect. Yeah. But then there's other ways in terms of who you follow and yeah. the speed of the news that you can get. For example, let's say there's, God forbid, a terrorist attack. Okay. You're going to hear that that on Twitter before you hear it on That's the news. That's true. That is very true. I'll okay. Be because there's people that are live at the scene. Yeah. You know, it's direct. It's yeah. totally direct. And in financial markets, speed is absolutely key. Yeah. Okay. So if you're getting news hits you straight to your phone like that or straight to your... Uh, your terminal or your computer desk screens, yeah. whatever, you can react to that straight away. Um, so that's one way. But then there's a layer on top of that of discerning what is bullshit, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. and what's not bullshit and then what to focus on. And I think that's been the key with me and what I'm quite good at is discerning bullshit from the actual good information. So there's so much information out there on trading. Yeah. But really digging deep and finding out what is good information and what is bad and being able to separate that very, very quickly is absolutely key to to having a good learning process mm-hmm. and then being a good trader because mm-hmm. you can get wrapped up in noise so easily. Yeah. And then you you get lost in what's actually moving the market and what is good information. Yeah. So I think it's um Twitter has allowed me to do that because you get so much information thrown at you on Twitter that being able to filter that out and kind of digest the noise in a good way 
works, works so well. And, and that's the main way to learn is I think learning is purely about being able to separate bullshit from, from yeah, good stuff. It's like at university, for example. Okay? Yeah. There's so much stuff that I was taught at university yeah, yeah. that doesn't apply. <laughs> but then there's like some really, really good stuff as well. Yeah. So then I focus. Weaning out which one's which. Exactly. So I focus my energy on, on looking at the stuff that actually matters in reality yeah. rather than all of this rubbish theory that, that doesn't you know. Actually, you can't really apply it anywhere. There you go. And, you know, that's I think that's key is yeah. separating the bullshit from the fact and, and the good stuff. Yeah. Well, it seems like you know what you're doing and you've got you've got your head on your shoulders. But there's there's some people I want to know your, your opinion. There's some people. So I've been approached when I've been out. I've had people come up and say, oh, my gosh, you're just making extra money. You mm. should join my Forex trading. This mm. is that. What's your opinion on those things? I've been approached many times. I always decline them because I don't I, I've never really had a strong interest in that field anyway. Mm -hmm. But I know some people who have gone down that rabbit hole is that something that you'd recommend people do or yeah what's your take on that um i recommend no one to trade okay, okay? um the, the thing is with humans is that if you tell them not to do something they're going to go do it anyway yeah so i always start with you shouldn't even start trading yeah okay because 90 percent of people lose money yeah. that's just the raw facts okay um, but because people are then going to go and do it anyway because everyone has their own ego issues to contend with if you tell someone they're going to be wrong, they're going to say, no, I'm right. I'm yeah, going to prove, prove you right. right. Okay. Yeah. So you then have to, you have to tell them and try and guide them in the right ways. Mm. Now, these people that approach you saying, join my Forex yeah. thing or whatever, they're, they're probably doing one of two things firstly. Okay. One, they're probably selling you an education course with, okay. of things that you can learn on the internet yourself, which are all going to be bullshit as well. Okay, cool. but they're right. free at least. Yeah. Okay, um, because trading's about finding your own, your own system and developing yourself, not by copying someone else. Yeah. Because I could give you a strategy that works, but you might not be able to trade it. Okay. Because mm. um, of your psychology, because yeah, of your, of you know, your schedules, yeah. you know, mm. the way that True. way that you work yourself. Yeah. Um, but then secondly, there's the broker model. Okay. Now brokers run something called an affiliate or introducing broker yeah. scheme. Some of these brokers, just for introducing one client, will pay you up to $800, okay? So what these people are doing is they might be having a demo trading account, so fake money, and they might be winning loads and showing you all of this to people that don't actually understand things like... What they're draw looking at. Yeah, yeah, things that they don't understand, things like drawdown, for example. These people are just running a trade until it goes into profit. Yeah. But they would have lost all their money before that, probably. And then they're screenshotting it, put it on, putting it online, saying, oh, yeah, I'm a great trader. Come and make a thousand pounds a week or whatever. Yeah. Um, but all they're doing is they're, they're getting you to join their little group, telling you to go to this sign up link, deposit with this broker. Once you've made, I don't know, five trades or whatever. They then the broker then pays the person that introduced them five to eight hundred dollars. Yeah. And then, you know, that's their business model done. That's all they care about. Right. OK. Yeah. And then on top of that, they're probably selling the course for a thousand pounds. Yeah. So out of you already, they've made maybe one thousand five hundred pounds, not directly from you. Yeah. But by well, actually, yeah, the course would be directly from you, but the broker's paying them as well. So the broker has a lot of um, responsibility here to yeah. to kind of stop this model. And the FCA are clamping down on it a lot mm. because they realise that it's just marketers going out there getting business for the broker. Um, and you know, as long as someone deposits five hundred dollars twice, the broker's made say two hundred dollars if the maximum payout to the introducer is eight hundred dollars. Yeah. 
It's a business model that kind of works. That's really crazy because I know so so many young people were falling in into that. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, I want to make money. You know, some people really just think if there's money involved, I'm gonna want to be ahead yeah. of it and get it. Um. So I've had a lot of people get into it. Some people have lost money. Some people there's still some people who are adamant that they're making money, and I'm obviously because I'm not too sure about the workings behind it. I'm like, are you really? I don't know. You know, sometimes they put up charts. I'm just like. I'm not too sure what I'm looking at here. So if you told me you're making money, I have to take your word on it. Exactly. It's it's one of these things where, you know, um, on social media, you rarely see people post a big loss. Yeah, okay? it's true. I've faced massive losses. Yeah. But I never put up any P&L or anything like that yeah. because it's a detriment to yourself. There's no upside to putting up P&L or your trades or your fills, they're called, your yeah. orders. Because all that's going to happen is scrutiny, no matter what, you know. Yeah. Um so I used to be very adamant that people weren't making money and calling people out. Now yeah. I just don't really care. You Apart from maybe one or two people. Yes, yeah, because because what they're doing is they're they have a kind of cult going on where they're trying to teach people these specific methods that are bullshit. Yeah. But they've got like this secret source almost, um, and they're making a killing off of it while not doing anything themselves. And right. it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm not going to name names because yeah, it's no, your podcast. Gonna nope, not gonna it's, it's not my podcast, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to respect it. We'll leave that. But um, yeah, that's it's just one thing about the industry that really needs to to end. Yeah, either lower the the the, the payouts to people. Yeah, and still you know provide some incentive, but not enough of an incentive to really be aggressive with this marketing strategy. Yeah, or get rid of it totally and actually do it properly via good content. You know, a good sales team. And that not just by throwing money at stupid eighteen-year-olds and yeah. getting them to set up an Instagram account just to do it. There's so many post yeah. shit. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a lucrative industry, and it's against the. It's, it's not against the law, kind of, but it's on the edge. It's very on the edge. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um. So you spoke about earlier. Um. Your company. Yeah. Macrodisiac. Tell us a little bit more about what you do and what you run. So, as I was talking about the in terms of the 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 kind of chart based stuff versus you know looking at actual macro stuff i found I, I was in broken and i left back in january of this year okay and i was like what am i going to do next yeah and i was like i don't really want to go back into the city because tired of it yes. um so i thought let me i'm very good at research and i was putting out stuff on linkedin every day mm-hmm. And, you know, people that were 30 years older than me that had been in the markets forever were, were was interacting with me like I was on their level, you know? Yeah. So I noticed, shit, I'm actually quite good at this. Yeah. So I decided to, and people were telling me to charge for my views. So yeah. I just went, fuck it, let me go and charge for my views. So it's got, it's done well so far. Um, but basically what I do is I, I pretty much vomit my thoughts down on a page. And then, organi- it, yeah. and then organize it into, okay, and you know, yeah. better, <laughs> better structure yeah. and, and kind of a conversational style. Yeah. So anyone can really pick it up. Um, and it's trade ideas. It's just news. It's a different take on things. Mm. Um, for example, yesterday I released a piece um, talking about seeing the wood from the trees. Okay. And I said, what, I'll ask you a question. What do you think McDonald's is as a company? What's their product? What, how, how do they make money? <sighs> Gosh, um, how they make money um, from the food they sell? No, no. McDonald's is probably the biggest um, real estate company in the world. Real estate. Yep. Oh. McDonald's make most of their money from property because what they do is they buy up all of this. Pro- they've got whole teams dedicated to surveying land to find out where the best 
land would be yeah. to get the maximum footfall to allow a tenant, a franchisee, oh. to make money and continue their rent going on for the yeah. whole time. So McDonald's are the biggest property company in the world. You wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have said that at you all. You wouldn't have known it. Um, so my, my, the whole piece yesterday was about what is the what are the real fundamentals of what you're buying as an asset? Yeah. Okay, so with McDonald's, what you're doing is buying a property company. Yeah. Um, and kind of wading through the perception of what that asset is, because you instantly said burgers, right? Yeah, because... Food, food, yeah. Fast food, right. Exactly. Yeah. So then I said, when you're buying Rolex, what are you actually buying? The watch? No, you're buying the perception, right? True, yeah. yeah There's yeah. 800,000 Rolexes produced a year. So you're not actually buying the watch out of your exclusivity because yeah. there's 800,000 of them yeah, made a year. Okay. Yeah. Are you really buying it for the, for the movement inside? I mean, it's, it keeps the time well. Yeah. Um, are you buying it for the looks? There's loads of watches that have, you know, the same bezel. Yeah. You know, you've got Tudor watches that look exactly yeah. the same. So what you're really doing is buying the perception. Okay. Now, the markets are very much the same, I think. Um, and I gave a more common example to asset buying and that was in tesla yeah so with tesla what people are actually buying is a futuristic bit of tech at the moment yeah they're not buying the fundamentals because tesla are in so much debt and they burn so much cash if people were actually buying the fundamentals of the asset then it would be the stock price would be much much lower but yeah. they, they, there's this perception of the tech so the whole thing was about seeing the wood from the trees mm -hmm. and you know stop buying the perception of things yeah and actually look at the real oh. meat of something wow which is which comes back again to that the model that we were talking about yeah. about you know the the marketing of fx um and fx trading was yeah. stop looking into the perception and look at really uh, what are they well, doing are these people really doing this yeah okay um and yeah with macro yeah, coming back to your question sorry i went on a bit of a tangent um it was just really looking at whether chart-based trading is the best way to go on such short time frames, mm -hmm. and this is the perception that everyone does this. Yeah. Or should we go and look at the longer term type of trade, in which yeah, it's fucking boring. Yeah. Okay. But it's much safer, and you can manage risk a lot easier, and yeah. you don't get as much anxiety when you're trading. That's true. Or in it's it's basically investing. Let's put yeah. it that way. Um, maybe on a slightly shorter time frame, but it's still investing. Trading's investing. Anything where you're risking capital is probably it's investing. investing. Just. You know what? That's really blown my mind. Those questions that you asked me have really, really <laughs> blown my mind because you, you have this idea and perception of things, and they they can really warp your yeah. decision making. I was told by um, someone, I think in the first or second year of when I actually started. Yeah. And he was the head of an FX desk at a big broker in in London. Yeah. And um, he said, always look at what others aren't looking at. And from that mm. day, so my macro, my trading framework is to look at where the data doesn't match the narrative. Yeah. Um, and that means that, you know, if there's loads of hysteria around a specific thing at the moment, okay, the market's going to price that in. So yeah. there's not that that much room for the market to go in terms of price. Yeah. So look at where the data is sitting that people aren't really recognizing at the moment. And that might be a negative or overly positive thing. And then either sell or buy it back to the median, back yeah. to the mean the center ground yeah, where yeah. people will then be hysterical once they know more about it yeah so that's kind of my trading strategy it's, wow. it's discretionary 
Yeah. So, you know, you can't really copy it because it's yeah, down yeah. to kind of what I think. Yeah. Um, but because it's over the long term, it's, it, it works out a lot wow. easier. Um, but yeah, it's always just about trying to minimize the perception, get rid of that perception of the masses and then yeah. look at the real meat of things. Wow. Okay, I have another question for you. Yep. It may not have any effect, but I just want to know. We all know that Brexit is looming over all of us, mm -hmm. all of our heads. Um, there's very various changes are going to come about because of Brexit. Some good, mainly bad in my opinion. Is that going to have any effect in your market as in when it comes to trading? do you what, what does your future look like with Brexit looming over us? So directly for trading, now this is something I spoke about uh, quite a few times over the past few years, is that financial services don't need a trade agreement. Excuse me, it just burped there. But um, retail do. Yeah. So, sorry, okay. can we edit that out? <laughs> so I'll start again. So this is something that I've spoken about quite a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah. And that is that financial services don't really need a trade agreement. Mm -hmm. um, the reasoning is, and this is actually in EU directives, is that um, professional and eligible counterparty business are kind of exempt from requiring to be in the host country. So they can okay. use third party equivalent, oh. something called third party equivalents. Okay? Yeah. Um, so I've always used this example. If you're Deutsche Bank in London and you want to deal with, I don't know, Goldman in, yeah. in Paris, you can deal with them. It doesn't matter at all doesn't because, you know, you're outside of the scope of regulation almost. Yeah. Where it might affect people is with retail trading, which is like people with smaller account sizes. Um, they would fall under the scope of a retail regulation. Okay. So they'd be they'd have to fall under RDR compliance. Yeah. And, you know, brokers that are based in the UK wouldn't be able to service clients in mainland Europe right. without having a physical presence there. Okay. So if they had a physical presence there and yeah. fully licensed, it's fine, they can do that. Yeah. Um but they would have to cut off uh contact with clients that are based in, in the EU. Wow. It's not that big a deal, yeah. Because most that's about I don't know five percent of the total cities cities um, business. Yeah. So most of the city they do wholesale business yeah. versus retail, which is you know retail banking and um, and things like broker dealing for, yeah. for retail clients. But ninety five percent of the business, as I said, is wholesale. Yeah. Which they don't need to to really look at those um, those retail regulations for. They don't fall under them. Um, and most asset managers, they set up shop in Dublin or Luxembourg yeah. as well. Yeah, that's true. They don't set up in London. Yeah. Um, so they and they can sit wherever they want in the world. So you yeah. can have a hedge fund that is, you know, um, the fund structure and everything's regulated in Luxembourg or or Dublin, as I said. And they, the actual manager can sit in London still and have all of the business operate from London. Yeah. So who really gives a fuck? That's true. You know, and the banks, as I said, they can deal with each other no problem at all. Yeah, there's no issue. Apart, apart from certain types of business, but again, it's not a, not major types of their business. The only one big one will be insurance and reinsurance, but again, they're likely to to be fine as well. Yeah, because they've got they've uh -huh. got um, they've got businesses and subsidiaries on mainland Europe. Yeah, no worries. No one's got anything to worry about. Oh, um, wow. So yeah, for my for my industry, shouldn't be any disruption mm -hmm. at no all. No issues. Maybe for trade, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Still can't predict that in the future. We have to wait until Brexit comes. So. Yeah. yeah. Brexit is going to be such a disruption. 
It could be. It could be, but, uh, you know, I think things always fall back to equilibrium quite quickly. With a country... So let's take, take for example, trade, okay? Yep. How many cars do you reckon Germany exports to the UK a year? In, to the UK? Let's, I'm going to go with 200,000. No, 800,000. I wasn't too far away. <laughs> you weren't. <laughs> you weren't too far away. But are you gonna, do you reckon Germany's going to want to give up that? No. No. So do we reckon that free trade deal might be done pretty quickly with Europe? Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah, just playing. So they're just doing, what's it called? Um, game theory. Yeah. Prisoner's Dilemma. I they're waiting. For, Prisoner's Dilemma. They're waiting for the first person to move it's and true. see who concedes first on loads of yeah. different issues. And then they'll do something because they're not going to want to give up 800,000 no. cars sales a year. crazy. You know? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, that's just where, that's just one example, but there's loads more. Yeah. And obviously we export less to the EU than yeah. we import from them. Yeah. So they're, they're not going to want to change that netting out. And imagine if we then start importing more from other countries and making up that, that deficit from yeah. there, they lose out. That's really interesting. Okay. Another question then about Brexit. In your opinion, what do you think is going to be the most detrimental thing with regards to Brexit? I know it's a broad question. You might have an answer. Um, personally, I think it's actually going to be masked by, it's not going to be masked, it's going to be, what's the word for it? Um, there's going to be a global slowdown and I think people are going to put the issues that occur down to Brexit. Yeah. They've already started putting, it, central bankers have already started putting certain issues down to Brexit already in the global slowdown. They're saying yeah. it's down to global uncertainty, etc. So there's two sides to this. Firstly, you've got Europe saying that we're not actually that important. We've got Remainers saying that we're not, well, I say staunch Remainers saying that we're not actually that important. Yeah. But central bankers are putting loads of their, the world's problems down to political uncertainty, with the main one being Brexit. Yeah. So are we either important or not? Yeah. You know, think about it. Um, but there's, a, there's, a, there's more things occurring across the world, such as issues in China, issues with credit markets, yeah. issues with so many other things that are causing the global slowdown yeah. and obviously central bank policy, that I think in the end, we're going to see things like unemployment start rising. But it's not going to be down to Brexit. It's going to be down to the fact that global manufacturing is on its knees. Mm -hmm. Okay, We're seeing commercial and industrial loans collapsing. We're seeing um, capital expenditure collapse. We're yeah. seeing operational expenditure collapse. And these things aren't because of Brexit. You know, the automation in the automotive industry, sorry, in across the world is, is slowing down loads and people are blaming that on brexit yeah in when it's happening in the uk but yeah. without looking at places like india america everywhere you know else. china yeah. everywhere else so it's either one of two things you have to put it down to it's either all down due to brexit yep. and we're a massively powerful country yeah or, or there's a global slowdown yeah. and maybe it's not all due to brexit yeah you know pick your poison it's true <laughs> that's wow didn't think of it like that that's really interesting um, right, so there's going to be lots of people listening to this mm -hmm. who are going to say, right, you know what? David changed my life. I want to get in trading. They're going to want to fight me. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to go with the positive <laughs> and say that you've yeah, changed their yeah, lives yeah. and they love everything. How do you propose that someone goes about? So let's say me. Let's say after today, I'm like, wow, I'm going home. I'm bringing up <laughs> the stock market. I'm looking at everything. How do I start? I well, firstly, I would say don't start trading, as cool. I said already. Yeah. But you're going to want to go and do it anyway, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I would say to do probably, is, apart from come and have a chat with me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is to really understand and see if there's 
any kind of, and I hate this word so much, any kind of synergies between what you're doing now and a specific asset class or market that you might want to invest in. Mm -hmm. um, and I say invest because that's the way you have to think about it. Yeah, You don't think of it as trading. You want to have a kind of more portfolio mindset to, to things. And so let's say, for example, you work, I don't know, for a water company. Mm -hmm. This is just a total example. I don't know if there's many people that actually work for water companies no, on not. Twitter, but um, whatever. Um, you might then want to go and invest in utilities. So because you have direct access to the industry that you're you're working in by actually being employed in that industry. Yeah. So you might not, you might have an edge in that market by knowing something that someone that doesn't work in it, mm. you know, might not have. So you might want to look at utilities if you work in, I don't know, um, let's think, social media. You might want to look at, you know, a, a different asset class. Yeah. Or maybe you've worked with a specific client on something yeah. that might be in a, you know, the tech industry. Yeah. You might want to look at tech. You know, just think of something where you can apply it to both what you're doing now and how you can invest and, and keep abreast of information coming out while you're at work. Because let's face it, no one's going to turn into a full time trader tomorrow. No. OK, you're going to you're going to um, be looking at um, years and years time yeah. of, of maybe becoming a full time investor. Yeah. If not decades time. Um, if you're not already in the financial industry and you haven't yeah. you know, put the work in already. Yeah. But as I said before. It's about kind of digesting what is bullshit and what is good mm -hmm. and then slapping them together. Uh, sorry, no, just separating them, <laughs> yeah. slapping them together because that would just be mixing it back up. Again. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, really finding out what um, what is good info and what is crap info. Yeah. And just constantly going through the motions of separating those into those two piles. I think it's the same with anything, though. Yeah. You know, even if someone's saying something, separate what they're saying is good and separate what they're bullshit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's that's the 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 key learning process for me is being able to do that to, digest. to really being able to do that. Yeah. Um, and also trying to understand specific market themes, which is obviously what I do with Macrodesiac. So yeah. if you do want to join Macrodesiac, give me a shout. Yeah, we'll see Um, but yeah, I think having a long term view and or just even having a view, it doesn't necessarily have to be long term. It's so important. Yeah. Because then you can start comparing and contrasting different kind of avenues to investment different asset classes and seeing which one suits your view yeah um and also by being able to critique your own view as well which again is part of part the two of piles yeah so let's say um i've signed up to macrodesiac as well so i'm there with you i'm getting all your tips from you would you recommend people go on youtube and watch some videos as well to supplement their learning is there any books like what what should people do because um, we, we don't want people to jump straight into trading no 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 so, no well you shouldn't even be doing it yeah <laughs> um there's loads of books out there. Yeah. I think a good one is obviously uh, The Intelligent Investor. Um, there's... Hmm, I'm trying to think of the best ones. I'm sure you've probably read quite a few in your time. Mm, it, do you know what? When you put me on the spot, it's like... I know, yeah, yeah, yeah you, I, you, you literally go blank. It's fine. I think... Um, I think... How, how else did I learn? I think I learned by just reading loads. And then when I didn't understand something mm. um so it might have popped up about i don't know interest rates or something yeah. back in eight nine years ago or whatever yeah i then went down a rabbit hole of trying to learn specifically about that for two three days and okay. if something else popped up i'd do the same and it's just like repeating yeah. that cycle until it kind of sticks um and then applying it to looking at where prices go when specific things happen yeah i think that's the best way because if you read too much you kind of get analysis paralysis 
you know? Yeah. You really have to just be looking at how things work in reality. Because a book from maybe 30, 40 years ago might not be as applicable today as it was then. Yeah. Um, so really trying to create your own view and understand how things work in, in financial markets is key. Yeah. Because it's ever-changing, you know? You have to adapt or you die. Yeah. Is there a certain point that you say, you know what, you've digested X amount of information, now you can go ahead and try trading or... Like, is there a certain time frame that you'd be like, no? Like, so, how would someone know that they're ready to give it a go and apply the information you, they've you taken never, in? You never know if you're ready. Okay, I think there's an ever-going, or everlasting, I think is the right word, anxiety amongst traders that there's going to be one day where everything blows up. So you, you're never ready, yeah. in essence. Um, people always say to have a year's expenditures covered when you, oh, really? when you trade. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just in case things go... Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Just because you don't... Look, you, you might not make money for six yeah. months sometimes. Yeah. You've got to be ready to pay pay your bills. Yeah. Um, And, you know, if you are not if you don't have that readiness to... Or that support underneath you financially... Yeah. Then, you know, you're not going to be able to trade properly because you've got that anxiety of, shit, where am I going to uh, make money from next to be able to do this? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to up my size trading relative to my account size. And yeah. then you lose a trade and then you have to up it more. Yeah. And then you're just in a spiral of losing. So just tell people just to take the plunge whenever they feel ready. Or yeah, just to trade small and get used to trade it. Trade small and get used to it. That's, honestly, it's all about being pra like practicing yeah. it and practicing losing money as well. Yeah. Because if you don't practice that, then you're never going to be ready. It's, it's 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 difficult. It's it's got to yeah. be the hard because you're you're fighting against yourself most of the time. Yeah, because I'd be petrified. I know. I do you know. I had a go. I had a had a little look at some of the the trading apps. Obviously, I've done no research. I've done no proper reading or anything. But mm. I had a look, and it all looked like mindful to me. Mm. So for me, um, because I still want to like invest and stuff. So I don't know if you know much, but there's some apps which will do it on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Like so, Nutmeg or yeah, like yeah. apps like that. So you just kind of pick your risk level and what you kind of want to invest mm -hmm. in. So that's what I do at the moment. Mm -hmm. But I know some people are interested in, you know, taking control of their investment. Because mm -hmm. um, some, some people I know who just, just invest in whatever. And they, they haven't done no research. It's like, yep, I've put my money down here. So the <laughs> funny thing about that is, okay, uh, I think Warren Buffett, and I, I don't really like Warren Buffett. For, for, okay, I'll, t I'll tell you why. Okay? <laughs> Go on, yeah, I want to hear because this. Because <laughs> he makes everything sound so easy yeah okay but the one thing that i did like about what you said once was if you have a selection of 20 stocks mm -hmm. okay and you were told you can only pick five and hold those okay and those are the only stocks you could ever invest in yeah people would probably make money because they really would analyze those five things yeah. and they would probably pick five things that they they've had a good experience with um that they actually like and you know actually sound quite good they've got a good idea yeah behind them um so you say that people just throw throw money at stuff maybe it comes down to one of those three things where you know they've True. had a good experience with it yeah and if a company's having a good experience with something oh, sorry if someone's having a good experience with a company maybe that company's doing something right yeah i was with someone the other day and he's a very very smart smart guy mm -hmm. um he's a computer scientist absolute Genius. nutty genius programmer yeah. like yeah work for major firms and what he did one day was <laughs> it's a really good story is that he he went to i think it was marks and spencer mm -hmm. he went to 
a few different supermarkets or something, and he he bought the own brand of their their nuts. Right. Okay. This is a weird story, but yeah. we'll, I'll I'll get to why it's good. And what he did was he he separated out the mixed nuts. Okay. Yeah. And he wrote up fake letters to to each one saying. Um, oh yeah, you had um, only fifteen hazelnuts in this pack, and the ratio isn't right. It's not yeah, equal yeah. across all of them. And he noticed, and he went and he went and actually did this. That yeah. he bought stocks in the companies that gave him a handwritten reply, rather than the companies that gave an automated reply, because it shows that they probably have less complaints against them, and. You know they can actually afford to pay someone to write something back that is that is human. Yeah. So he just that that's just one example of that how people so have invested. That's so smart. Wow. Honestly, like I wouldn't think of that. But no, he's, would I? he's yeah. you know that's that's where people differ, and that was one of his, the reasons why he invested in a couple of companies like that simple. Yeah. And it's a crazy crazy way to do it, but it worked for him, and he made money. He made like twelve percent that year. That is crazy. That's really, really interesting. Mm. Sorry, that's really blowing my mind. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go home and go buy some stuff and send some letters and see what I get back. Wow. Yeah. That's really blowing my mind. Well, thank you for being here. No worries. Honestly, Thanks so for much. Me. It's I've I've learned so much. I know everyone else listened pretty learned tons. <laughs> I've learned so much. Um, but if people want to follow you, where can we find you and Macrodesiac and everything? Yep. So the website is www.macrodesiac.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter is macrodesiac underscore. And the same with Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the main ones I use. Oh, yeah, LinkedIn is David Bell. You'll probably find me. Yeah. On there. Um, yeah, I think that's all of them. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's everything. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for being here, David. No worries. It's been amazing. I hope you guys have enjoyed. If you guys want to reach out to David, then go and follow him on his social media. Follow Macrodesiac. You're open to answer any questions if anyone has any questions. Yep. yep. yep so go and message him. Um, if you don't already have me, you can follow me on Twitter. That's Ikea, I-K-W-E-Y-A-H underscore. Same with Instagram about the underscore. And obviously subscribe to Pennies to Pounds and follow everything that David's doing because he is amazing. Thank you. That's all right. So thank you guys for tuning in this episode. We'll be back again next week. But that's it for us. Thank you.